Welcome back to another week in the world of SaaS with the official SaaS to podcast with your host Harry Stebbings and Jason Lemkin. And you can find us on Snapchat at H Stebbings and Twitter at Jason LK. And if you'd like to find us in real life and not just find us, but have drinks and more specifically mojitos with us and the likes of Darmesh Shah at HubSpot, Jeff Lawson at Twilio and many more incredible SaaS leaders, then all you have to do is enter the promo code drinks with Harry when you purchase your tickets, those three words drinks with Harry, and you'll get a wicked 20% off the ticket price for SAS 2017. But not only that, even better, you'll also receive a free happy hour of mojitos thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin. However, to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome Ryan Peterson. Now, Ryan is the founder and CEO of Flexport, the freight forwarder for the internet age, and they recently raised a phenomenal 65 million Series B from the likes of Founders Fund, First Round, Felicis, Bloomberg, Yuri Milner, Sousa Ventures, and more incredible investors, with none other than YC founder Paul Graham stating that Ryan has the rare ability to not just satisfy the market, but grow it. And prior to Flexport, Ryan was founder and ex-CEO of ImportGenius.com, the largest provider of business intelligence to the import-export industry. I do also want to say how immensely fun it was to have Ryan on the show, and it really was a pleasure to hear the incredible journey of Flexport, and a huge hand to Chad Byers at Sousa and Jason Lemkin at Sasta for the intro today. But without further ado, it's now time to welcome the man himself, Ryan Peterson, founder and CEO at Flexport. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Ryan, absolutely fantastic to have you on the official Sasta podcast. Huge thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. I've been a Sasta reader since like way back in the Quora days. Well, that's awesome to hear. Jason does such a brilliant job at writing it. But uh, but I want to kick off today with a two to three minute founding story of Flexport and, and how the business got off the ground. Yeah, well, so Flexport's story is pretty tied up with my own story. I used to run an e-commerce business. And unlike a lot of e-commerce businesses, I went all the way to the source in China and just bought stuff from Chinese factories and then sold it through the internet in the United States. So I, in the process, learned that that giant ship leg that is the Pacific Ocean is just like very, very challenging to manage for a small company. So our idea was let's build some SaaS, let's build some software to make this simple for small businesses to workflow management, right? Think of like TurboTax for importers was the original idea. So actually, I didn't know if this was going to work or not. And so I'm a big believer in like before you make big life commitments, sort of having some certainty around it. I'm not a big risk taker. And so I actually built a website in a weekend to test this hypothesis that if this company existed, people would want it. I ran that website for a year. This was six years ago, by the way. People people think Flexport's only three years old, but this was six years ago. In one year of that website, which I built on a weekend and just let it run, we got in one year 300 companies to sign up. And I thought it would be all small businesses like my little e-commerce venture. But among the companies that signed up were Foxconn, the maker of the iPhone, Cargill, which is like one of the biggest commodities agricultural companies in the world and Saudi Aramco, the largest oil company in the world. Signed up three trillion dollar company. Yeah. Yes. Signed up for my little site. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be rich. This is going to be incredible. But I didn't actually know how to do any of the things that we were offering, like to ship things. I had no idea. Um, so I, one had to learn people, you know, recruit people, learn it, find people who could do it. And two, get licensed. So we also didn't have a license to, to be a customs broker at that time. The licensing part turned out to take three three years. So I had this like proof of concept and then I had to wait three years before I launched. 
watched. I mean, I'm intrigued though because in terms of, uh, I was so excited to have you on the show today, and and largely because every VC I was talking to was speaking about you and Flexport. So on on that note, and on the kind of word of mouth note, I, I want to dive into MPS today uh, and slightly controversial term in terms of its utility and how useful it is today. So how valuable do you think NPS really is in today's environment? Man, I think it's the metric uh, that is the most important for, and I think it's so good. Actually, you should use it not just for your customers. Of course, that's what it's designed for: is how how likely are your customers to refer you? Your net promoter score is an inc- because if your customers are referring you, they're not going to churn. Churn is the death of startup SaaS companies. So, if, and it, and word of mouth is viral growth. So, it is the metric, but it's also a really good metric. Like we use it internally in our recruiting process in our, what, how likely are you to refer people to work here? How likely are you, you know, and if you can measure that, and then we also use it on the supply side of our business to asset owners, to ocean carriers, right. To airlines, how likely are you to tell your friends that you should allow Flexport to ship freight with you. I forget how we structured the, the question, but we use it in every direction. I think it's a really healthy gauge of where, where are problems happening. So we're, we're in this very fortunate position. Our market is like over a trillion dollars just in the core freight forwarding market. And our competition try to stay humble, but like from a technology standpoint, they're laughably bad. So we don't feel constrained by market size. We don't feel constrained by competitors. So the constraint is purely ourselves and our ability to enjoy our job and have high morale and our ability to deliver quality customer experiences at scale. And so our gauge is like, we're going to grow as fast as we can without letting NPS suffer. That's sort of like the constraint on our growth is we can't let that suffer. In, in terms of kind of accusations hurled against it, there's, there's a few that, that do interest me. And one is selection bias in terms of you pick the people that are likely to give better NPSs. And then two is the cultural difference of in Germany and China, say they have traditionally harder rankings than Americans and British, uh, particularly British who never complain about anything. Um, so, so how do you kind of avoid the, sele- the selection bias and the cultural bias and have the most accurate provisions and testing that you can? We actually use a plug actually for a company I'm nothing to do with, but I'm a big fan called Delighted, which lets it, which actually just does a statistical sampling and it randomly emails. I think like for in our case about 20 users per day, every day. Obviously different users, so you every single user gets hit maybe once or twice a year only. But it lets you every single day have a pulse on what people are saying, a statistically random way. I there might be a selection bias for who's willing to open and fill out these forms, but the, the beauty of NPS is that it's so short that you can. And I think Delighted actually lets you answer the question in your email so you don't have to like go to some lame survey or something right so selection bias i think is totally manageable cultural one i haven't thought much about is very interesting so british people don't complain huh british people don't complain i'm not trying to uh, lose any audience members here but germans typically are harder to please as are austrians mm-hmm. uh so so when you kind of switch into different countries it's often uh, very common that you will get a lower nps depending on the country that you move into or That's a higher really cool. NPS. well one of my favorite favorite things about about that service is actually that it maps it back to the actual user. And so you can actually run your own custom segments and go, Hey, let me see what my people in Germany are saying. We do it. I don't know that we've done it geographically. We probably do actually, because our business units are structured that way, but I know we do it by segment. So like the bigger customers versus smaller ones, right. And we can actually measure by team with the end. All of our teams are ranked by NPS, how their customers like them, not ranked like for performance, not for compensation or anything. I think it's dangerous to compensate on NPS, but, uh, but certainly we like to see what, 
you know, as a barometer. And one thing I found with NPS is actually your detractors, the customers who don't like you, who can tell you that actually, those are the ones where we grow share of wallet the fastest, like where they start to spend more with us. And it's because we proactively address it, right? We go out, we go figure out what's happening. And then, so you can turn it around pretty fast with good action. Absolutely. I think you're kind of flying blind if you're not asking your customers that. I'm, I'm really pleased though that you said you don't like to compensate on NPS because kind of compensation internally is something that naturally very interests me. How do you look to structure compensation for the kind of Flexport org that incentivizes, but also still motivates? Yeah, I don't know that we do it that well. I want to do a big review of how we're doing all, all these things, but um, we, so what we, do you we just do com- now? We compensate on like? uh, on gross sales, on top line sales, uh, and then we try to put controls in so they we do put controls in so they can't sell below our cost or below what you know like our true cost so that we don't lose money. That's much better in our industry at least, where a lot of people comp on net and comping on net is very dangerous because now you have a real incentive for your salespeople to screw your customer over by charging them way too much and taking too high of a margin. If you're in a competitive industry and you're giving your salespeople control over that, what you've done is just open up the door for a competitor to come in and underprice you because your sales guys are getting greedy and they're thinking short term instead of playing the long game of how do I accrue users over many years, right? It, I, I call that turkey behavior where you know the turkey thinks that its master loves it every day. It's getting better and better until on Thanksgiving Day it gets its head cut off, right? And, and I think the same thing can happen with a sales guy who's comped on net. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a big danger. I've heard you also say on the kind of sales side that operations equal sales at Flexport and infinite demand for a job well done. What do you mean by this? And, and then how does that mean you approach the sales process? Yeah, well, um, the truth is that freight, if you have the right price on freight and you deliver it on time and you have the best visibility platform for, you know, best visibility and control and data structured data, like that's a very, in our case, a very differentiated product. The key question though, or the key question is that big if statement, if it arrives on time, if you hit the right price, then there's infinite demand. Those are big ifs. And it's a lot of work for us. And that's operations. That's like going out, doing the negotiation with the asset owners, making sure that the the products flow smoothly and don't get lost or damaged and arrive on time, right? So um, those have always been the challenges at Flexport. Sales and marketing, almost never the problem. I mean, you always want more sales, but only to the extent you can maintain your NPS and and your deliveries, you know, on-time delivery rates and all those things. That's our constraint on growth today is really operations and how good are we operationally. I'm, ple- I'm pleased you said there about marketing because uh, it's obviously another aspect along with NPS that's a big attractive for potential customers. And I know you're hiring a VP of marketing as we speak. So talk to me about that decision. Why now is the right time and why not before? Because it's, as you said, it's been six years as a journey. So we've never really had anyone in marketing at Flexport. It's kind of crazy. Oh, well, we do outbound email marketing where we are identifying companies that ship products, which is like, by the way, every company in the world and email them. And so we have that program, right? We have the SDR program, but we've never had a marketing program that does anything else. A marketing leadership team of any, uh, not even leadership marketing. We just haven't done. I do. I write our blog, which I think is good. We don't do any paid ads. We don't, we've neglected it completely. And I think 
where the reason it comes back to, which is like operations is our key challenge. And so from an opportunity cost perspective of like executive bandwidth and time spent, we, we just put it all into ops and not into marketing. We've just recently won. We just raised a lot of money. So I think we can start thinking in opportunity costs. Hopefully we can do more than one thing. And I'd spend a little, we, we had $130 million run rate with no marketing. And so I'm just like, wow, this is a really good opportunity right now. After the raise, we should be able to hire like an incredible marketing leader who doesn't need to take up tons of our executive bandwidth and go like, yeah, here, blank slate, like go build an awesome marketing program and, and, and build on these experiments that already work. I'm super intrigued as to kind of a marketing strategy for Flexport. Is it an ABM strategy where kind of you target the, the massive players of industry like your Aramcos, like your Foxcons, like your Walmarts? Or is it a strategy whereby, as you said, every company really ships product? Is it a kind of fishing with a net instead of a spear? It's, um, I think the key there is really good customer segmentation. So you can only really build product for one segment of the market, at least at our scale. Like we're not that good at doing, we can't do 10 different products right now. Even two seems really hard. So we focus on only building one product. You can do sales and marketing into multiple segments, right? Like that's much easier to do and just have different teams that do different things in parallel. But for the product and engineering side, we try to stay focused. So uh, on the product side, we really build for mid market companies is kind of like you do between 10 and 500 million in revenue. It's still a pretty big swath of businesses. And that's where our core focus is today. The enterprise, they want it badly. Actually, we have a few, we have like nine publicly traded companies. We have a few, some of the biggest ones are interested in working with us. Uh, they just move really slow. And I don't, I, we don't have time right now for that. Like, I don't want to take two years. And the other thing is they really want custom and they want and deserve custom software, which we're not, we're not like a dev shop, right? So I'm not going to go in and build you all this custom stuff that you need for your SAP integration or something. Like, that's not us today. So you don't do um, customization to close deals? We don't. I mean, unless it's something that's just a really good idea that all of our customers would want, we do a lot of that, right? That's just good product management. Um, but we don't tailor it. We do have, we have an API. So like the customization should take place through our API, right? And integrations and stuff. But we won't, we're pretty dogmatic actually on not customizing. So, that, that, but the enterprise wants it. It's very, it's a fun strategic challenge. Is like, okay, the biggest companies in the world want to use us. And then the small mom and pops, like we get 50 of them to sign up every single day trying to ship and sell on Amazon and eBay and whatever. And like those guys are like low cost to serve their self-service, uh, mostly self-service in the app, low cost to acquire and high margin. So it's a tricky thing. You're like, okay, I can go after the enterprise that wants it. I can go after the little guys that want it. We've stayed focused on the middle because we're really, we need to be five times bigger from a volume perspective. Like we need to move five times more freight to get our costs where they should be in line with the bigger competitors. Sure. Absolutely. And so there it's like middle sized companies, they move fast and they spend and they move a lot of freight relative to how fast they move. And in terms of the kind of the marketer itself, going back to that, the kind of who's devise, mm. devising this strategy for that customer segmentation, at a startup like Flexport, what, what is it we're looking for? Is it an ex-Salesforce VP of marketing who's kind of been there, done that, and got many of the conference t-shirts? Or is it a young, passionate marketer who's got kind of innovative ideas and is kind of ambitious as anything? What's the... I want, I want to... I like builders, you know? I want someone who's really built something. So, like, I think... Salesforce. I hope I hope we find some great candidates at Salesforce that come and apply. I don't want to scare anybody off, but I think unless you were there building the thing, like I'm a little scared if you were just an administrator of something that was built by someone else, right? I, want, I really want creative builder types who were like 
growth hacking and performance. I like performance marketing where it's like, yeah, measure it, right? Show me how many demos you're going to put on the calendar, not that thought leadership and branding. That stuff's easy, right? Like, and when you ask those people, what are you going to do on the performance? They're like, Oh, I'll hire someone to do that. It's like, well, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Right. You, you, <laughs> you must be from business school. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm interviewing. I'm trying to find that person. Like, don't don't tell me your strategy is to go find someone else. Like, uh, but I want I want to dive into sixty seconds faster. So, quick fire. I say a short statement, and you hit me with your thoughts. About sixty seconds. How does that sound? Okay, awesome. So let's do productivity tools. How do you stay on top of everything, Ryan? Oh man, I don't. I delegate like crazy. Delegation is the key to success, do you think? Empowering other people and then like being comfortable letting go. I think that's a mistake a lot of founders can't make is like letting go and not needing to make decisions, create an environment where other people make the decisions. What do you know now today that you wish you'd known six years ago when you started Flexport? Oh man, Um, a bunch of things. Investors don't like to invest in an LLC. (laughs) Really? Something that I didn't know. I had an LLC and had to like buy it with the C Corp so they could invest in it, like stupid stuff like that. For example, the, I've learned that success compounds to an insane degree, like that because you're successful, you get to hire better people, which makes you more successful. And the whole thing compounds on itself, but it's not that useful of a lesson except to like keep persisting and, and celebrating little successes because it all builds on itself. In terms of success compounding, it's easy to look at a flex ball and the raises uh, and the absolute baller that is Ryan Peterson uh, and think um, the you know, it's all success, but what's been the most challenging element? Probably my health. Like I don't, I don't think I exercise enough. I've got like, I need to get out and actually like take care of myself and not spend all my time obsessing on the business. And so that'd be, that'd be one that I need to work on. And, and I get invited to more drinks and interesting things. Now those are like probably bad for my health too. So, and then what's your favorite reading material? What do you love or, or listen to? Uh, the SAS podcast I hear is pretty fantastic. Uh, the podcast that you make, Harry, <laughs> <laughs> your sweet English accent. I am super into Audible, and in particular, the, a series called The Great Courses, where you can just learn about anything. And I just listen to that all the time. And, and then, not in quickfire now, but you mentioned kind of delegation there and being the key to success, empowering people. So, a bit of a meta question on management style, and, and that's decision making processes at Flexboard. And you very much advocate for bottoms up decision making. So, why is this? And, and what are the inherent advantages every time i've ever had a bad customer experience if you if i look at it and reflect on what happened it's because the the person who was doing the customer service right the, the employee was not empowered to make the decision that was like if i'm having a bad experience and i'm sitting there tell, talking to this person they should be able to fix my bad experience it's only when either the corporate hierarchy or bureaucracy or something gets in the way and prevents them from doing this like there's not like that many evil people working at Comcast. It's like the Comcast and it's not, it's just that Comcast has this org structure that doesn't allow them to solve your freaking problem. Like they just look at you in the face and say, sorry, I can't help you. They, they know that's wrong. And so I, I, I believe very firmly that decision-making powers should be pushed to the edge of the organization. That, like, in fact, your customers can make a lot of your decisions for you. If you have a good value system and people know sort of like, what's my guiding principle on what, on how to make this decision. But the customer often makes the decision. So I try to push the decision-making power, not just down, but out 
out to the edges of the org and even beyond. Let let our let our stakeholders make decisions when it when whenever possible. Uh, talk to me though about kind of retention of autonomy. Uh, that might be the right wrong word, but talk to me about kind of the retention of kind of your founder status when everyone has the ability to make lots of little decisions. Oh yeah, I mean I I think that's the whole thing is letting go and not. I, I don't make that many decisions. I make very very few decisions. I like do our swag and you know, make sure we have cool t-shirts and hats and stuff like product. I really delegate to other people who know better than me. Sales, same thing. Marketing. That's that marketing is something I like. And that's the one area I haven't let go of enough. And I'm doing that exercise right now, trying to hire a VP of marketing, but in almost every other part of the business, I just allowed other empowered other people. And I try to get my managers under me to do the same thing. Like, please like, don't make these just, why don't you let that person make the decision? Right. And kick it, kick it down to the people who are like much closer to the problem than we are. Okay, final question though. Is it challenging implementing a bottoms-up decision-making process if you haven't had it before? So you might have always had it at Flexport, but say you don't have it now. What are the challenges that you have to go through to then transition to a bottoms-up decision-making? Yeah, I don't know how big organizations and change management. I don't know how you do that. In a small, I think it's just though from the founder perspective, it's about letting go. It's about saying like, if the decision isn't what you would have made, it's okay. Like it doesn't matter that much. Is it empowering kind of different uh, segments of the business going to the you sales? Get such people just like working there better when they get to make decisions in there. It's not like arbitrary coming from above. It's like yeah, you decide like do what you think is right, and we'll have a good value structure so you kind of have a framework for evaluating different options. But it's not. But you make the decision. I think people like working there. So you get much better talent. You get more out of them and, and then you win, right? And so too many people I see clinging and it, and it like works in the early stage, right? Like I I'm an incredible individual contributor. I miss like hacking in my bedroom and just like cranking out awesome stuff, but I'm not, it doesn't work that well. You can't keep doing that, right? You have to stop and like allow other people to do take over. Absolutely. No, you do indeed. Uh, and, and I have no doubt that Flexport is going to take over the, the, multi-trillion dollar freight, freight industry uh, and I look so forward to seeing it happen but Ryan thank you tell so me, much tell me when you have something to ship Harry we'll get it done now you know what you can ship me you can ship me some swag I will send you some awesome Flexport t-shirts yes okay fantastic now I'm excited uh, I can see what you do all day <laughs> That was so harsh of me, sorry. Uh, but, Ryan, it's been fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, and it's been such a pleasure. Beautiful. My pleasure, Harry. Thanks a lot. Such fun to have Ryan on the show today, and a huge hand to him for giving up the time to come on the show. And also a special thanks to Chad Byers and Jason Lemkin for the intro to Ryan today, without which the show would not have been possible. Also, do not forget, if you'd like to hear incredible leaders of the SaaS industry in the flesh at SaaS to 2017, just like Ryan, then all you have to do is enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY, those three words, DRINKSWITHHARRY, when you purchase your SaaS to 2017 tickets. And you'll not only get 20% off the ticket price, but you'll also get free drinks with me and Mr. Jason Lemkin. It'd be fantastic to see you there. As always, I'm so grateful for all the support. Always do hit me up on email, harry at the 20 minutevccom I always love to hear suggestions, thoughts, and questions for future episodes, and I look very forward to bringing you Friday's episode.